Hello, critics, non-critics, and friends. Welcome to the Film Optics Podcast, brought to you by the Drive-In Podcast Network, where we discuss film, TV, and all things Hollywood-related. I'm your host, Christian, and I'm joined by a few special guests for a kind of like a, a special movie series review going through the entire Harry Potter series. As we all know, the 20th anniversary of the first movie will be hitting November 15th. And I'm joined by some special friends of the show. We have J.D. Duran from In Session Film. How are you doing today, man? Hey, thanks for having me. So glad to be here and got my wand ready. Let's do this. <laughs> there you go, man. And we also have Amy Smith from In Session Film and from Film for Thought. Mm-hmm. How are you doing today? I'm doing very well. Thank you for having me on. No problem at all. And of course, last but not least, we have Nicole Ackman from Next Best Picture. How are you today? I'm so excited to talk about this movie. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, no problem at all. You know, I I was struggling because I actually talked to JD about this earlier, like a few weeks uh, ago. And yeah. I was like, I kind of want to do this movie series, but I'm not sure if I can orchestrate this. And he's like, <laughs> well, it's 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 the 20th anniversary. So yeah. honestly, it's now or never. You have to do it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It would be like a huge disservice. If I did, I'm like, I, I can't yeah. betray Harry Potter like that. So. <laughs> exactly. Here I am going week to week, uh, you know, trying to get people to come on. So um, in this episode, as I mentioned before, we are celebrating 20 years of magic or the Harry Potter movie series review, starting, of course, with the Sorcerer's Stone or the Philosopher's Stone, if you are across the pond. So um, before we begin today's podcast, you can listen to our show on platforms around the Internet. And if you're a new or seasoned listener, to the show we would love to hear from you guys follow us on instagram and twitter at film optics that is optics with an x so before we get into you know the meat and potatoes here i gotta know really quick what was everyone's first introduction of harry potter this is a celebration today so we're, we're gonna have some fun and whatnot so i guess we'll go around the room here we'll start with nicole we'll go to amy next and then jd and just want to know what was your first introduction to harry potter was it the bugs was it the movies? So yeah, we'll start with Nicole. Yeah, it's funny because I think a lot of people always assume uh, because I am such a big Harry Potter fan that I like read the books growing up, and I actually didn't. I distinctly remember in first grade uh, trying to read the first one because everyone was so into it and being like, mm, I don't like it. Um, I went through a period of time in like first and second grade where I wouldn't read any book with a boy main character. Uh, <laughs> and so Harry Potter kind of fell fell victim to that. And I think I'd maybe seen one or two of the movies. And then when I was a junior in high school, I finally decided like, okay, it, this is enough. I feel like I'm missing out on the cultural conversation. I feel like I'm missing references everywhere. I just need to do it. And then I read all of the books in like a three month time span. Uh, and then I went through and I watched all the movies. And that's particularly funny because I distinctly remember I watched Goblet of Fire for the first time while I had the swine flu and I was like home alone with it. Um, and let me tell you, that movie's not that scary normally. But when you have a really high fever, um, that's a really scary movie. <laughs> um, and then it's been really fun because my sister's eight years younger than I am. So she did get into Harry Potter at a really young age. So I've sort of kind of gotten to also experience 
it through her. And then during quarantine, um, I got TikTok and I ended up firmly on like Harry Potter TikTok and I got more into it than I think I've ever been like now that I'm in my mid twenties. Uh, so it's, it's been like a, a bit of a weird journey for me, but it's definitely something that I, you know, really have a lot of affection for despite my like very strong feelings about its author. Oh, okay. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with you there. Uh, Amy, what about you? Yeah, I always feel like I was going to be attached to this character in a series of books. Um, the first movie came out when I was three years old, and my mom was obsessed. I always say, you really go in the household as Star Wars, Lord of the Rings, or Harry Potter. And I definitely grew up in a Harry Potter household. Um, so I was kind of just raised on the movies. And then once I could sort of get into reading, I started catching up on all the books, like my mom went to the midnight launch of the last book. We went to the midnight premiere of the last movie. It's always been something that's been in our lives so much so that seven or eight years ago, I went on a school trip to the London studio tour. Haven't been able to go since, but I would love to visit it again. But yeah, it's just always been there in my life. And it's something like, even if I don't care as much about the new stuff anymore, I always have a main series in the form of the books and films to kind of look back on. Okay, yeah, that that's that's a beautiful, beautiful tale. So, JD, I know you're a big Harry Potter fan. We talked yeah. about this uh-huh. in session with Lord of the Rings. So, this, this this your time is now. Your time is now. <laughs> <laughs> well, my journey is a little bit odd as well because I did not read the books growing up at all, and the first movie came out when I was a freshman in high school, I think, and. I think at that time I was like my interests were geared in other ways. And so I did not watch this film when it came out in theaters. I didn't watch any of them. I, my interest just wasn't there at the time. And while I have seen them passively over the years, at least a few of them, I never really took them seriously in any sort of way. Until, what was it, 2014, I want to say, when my co-host Brennan Cassidy, when he came on the show as a full-time co-host at that time, uh, he said, you know, you need to watch them. They're actually pretty good. Uh, You know, and I just didn't really care at that time. But I was like, okay, I'll give these a shot. And on the first go around, I pretty much fell in love right away. Mm-hmm. Um, even though it was you know, all these years after the fact and whatnot. And pretty much since then, not every year, but I'd say most years since 2014, around this time, I pretty much watch all of them. I, I, I go through, through them all in order. It's, it's like a yearly thing for me now. So, yeah, I've, I've, I fully fall in love with them. It took me... You know, uh, a few years took me, you know, a decade to finally catch up to everybody else. But uh, yeah, I'm I'm a full head, full full on Potterhead now. Okay, okay, I feel it. Uh, much like Nicole, uh, when I was in first grade, uh, my first grade teacher actually started reading um, Sorcerer's Stone to us. She would read us, I think, it was a chapter a week, if I'm not mistaken. So, you know, being in first grade, it's like obviously you know having like your teacher like your parents read to you like she she actually did a pretty decent effort had different voices for all the characters and whatnot um and i kind of just fell in love with it i didn't really understand it at first but i was like wow this like you know this is really really cool but 
it was kind of just, you know, this book that was just out there. And then the movie came out in 2000. I was like, oh my gosh, you know, like, you know, all the books started coming out and started collecting them. Uh, me and my parent, me and my mom would uh, read them together, but it was more just so, I think the movies is really what solidified like my fandom because when I was younger, I hated reading with a passion. Absolutely. <laughs> I don't know why, but now I love, I'm sorry. <laughs> she was like, oh my God. <laughs> sorry, I'm sorry. She was like, oh. <laughs> just a like, little bit. A little bit. <laughs> it's like, Volvo. Yeah, ask, oh my God. Ask me what just... my Hogwarts house is now. <laughs> but yeah, when I was younger, I just, I just didn't like being told to read certain things. But for some reason, like after I, you know, I would collect the books, but I didn't like, actively read them like my parents would like help me like go through them but it was mm. it was it, it kind of like it was they were just always there like I mean you know, I was in first grade and it's like it's just always been a part of my life and my mom took me to every single uh movie premiere um I went to I think I think it was definitely hollows that I went to go pick up that book uh for the midnight but I don't think I did it for any of the others I tried to do a book report on <laughs> Order of the Phoenix and failed miserably. Um, <laughs> my my teacher was like, "This is way too long of a book, and you're not going to finish it in time." And I was like, "I can do it." <laughs> it's like I've seen the movie; I can do it. Like, but it, it had been some years since I uh, read it. But it was just, I was like, "Yeah, it, it 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 is what it is." Didn't do too well in that book report, but um, I was like the only kid like in my my class that actually likes Harry Potter. It was kind of weird. But like later on, you know, you, you find, you know, others who love the series as well. So that was pretty much my introduction to it. Um, like I said, it's just, it's just always been a part of my life. And it's just weird to think that it's been 20 years since the first film came out. So it's, yeah. it's some crazy, crazy stuff. But moving on here, I got to know, because I'm going to ask everyone who comes on, what is your Hogwarts house? We'll start with JD, then we'll go to Amy and then Nicole. You know, it's interesting you know, because I just got done saying that, you know, I love this series and I do watch it a lot. I've never thought about this. <laughs> so I'm I'm not really all that sure. I've I never actually grappled with this. <laughs> so I don't know. I guess I'll give the boring answer and say Gryffindor because I don't really know. I've never really took the time to really think that through. But Sure. That's that'll be my answer for simplicity's sake, I guess. <laughs> Fair enough. Amy, what about you? Um, I have given it quite a lot of time and I have done quizzes and <laughs> I am nice. <laughs> I am a certified um, Ravenclaw. I've worked in a bookshop. Nice. I find myself to nice. like so two Ravenclaws. Here. Yeah, I kind of favor myself <laughs> with somebody who likes to think logically and out of the entire series, my favorite character has always been Luna. I've always had a sort of connection with Luna ah, okay. and I see a part of myself in her, so I think that's kind of why I see myself as a Ravenclaw. Okay. Awesome. Nicole? Yeah. Um, (laughs) If it wasn't clear from how I reacted to you saying that you don't like reading, um, and and, I mean, I'm literally wearing my Ravenclaw Ravenclaw shirt right now. I just realized (laughs) that her hair was in the way. I was like, Yep, I am wearing the Ravenclaw sweatshirt. Um, No, it's actually kind of funny because I had a friend tell me that they were like, honestly, if I I didn't know that you hadn't read Harry Potter as a kid, I would have thought that you just based your entire personality around being a Ravenclaw. And I was like, no, it's actually naturally that. Um, Um, but I also like, this is a funny thing. I found my favorite Harry Potter character is Remus Lupin. Um, and like all other Remus Lupin girls I've ever met, 
I'm a Ravenclaw. <laughs> yeah. <nice. laughs> there it is. There you go. Um, so for me, I was actually took it was a bit of a shock because I've taken the quiz time and time again. So call me Draco and Mothalai, because I'm a Slytherin. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Most I, of my good friends are Slytherins. So <laughs> And everyone's like, oh, you know, like, yeah, this, you know, they produce all the bad wizards. I'm like, okay, let's not forget that a Slytherin helped save the wizarding world. I'm just saying. So yeah. but, I mean Peter uh, Pettigrew is a Gryffindor. So like yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> No one can be trusted. Um, <laughs> my favorite character is actually Ron Weasley. I just always oh, I love Ron. like, yeah. I don't know what it is like reading, you know, his character through the books is always cracks me up. Um, I usually try like when it comes to major franchises like this, very rarely am I like attracted immediately to like the protagonist, the main protagonist. It's usually someone else. Luna Lovegood is one of my favorites as well, but Ron has just always been my favorite for some reason. Absolutely love them. You know, the films and the books. Uh, JD, who's your favorite uh, Harry, Harry Potter character? Well, I, I miss, I guess, somewhat preludes what we're about to get into with the movie. Because I, I feel like typically, or maybe half the time, I'm certainly with you, Christian, in that I find these supporting characters that I really tend uh, or, to, or I, I attach myself to that I love. In the case of Harry Potter, and maybe this is also me catching up with these movies all these years later after becoming a parent myself. Mm. And so emotionally, I find myself in this space of, uh, of really feeling close to Harry and his journey. Because what I love so much about these movies, the magic and the wizarding world, all of that is fun. But what makes this franchise special to me is its emotional core, which I think is incredible. It is so, so good. The attention to detail these movies have emotionally um, and, and, I, and, and how that is fully realized in Harry throughout the series is great. And, and Daniel Radcliffe, I think, taps into it impeccably. So as much as I, I mean, there are so many supporting characters throughout all of these films that are great for sure, but there's something about that dynamic of him coping with the death of his parents, earning or yearning for that kind of love and never being able to have it. And then, you know, by the end of it, accepting the reality of it all and, and finding that love in this journey with his friends, that to me is incredible. So, yeah, I mean, there's... Again, it, not every franchise has this, but the emotional core with Harry specifically is what I am drawn to. And I just, I find it special. It, it is really, really great. So in this case, for me, it is Harry. All right. That was the answer we were looking for. So points <laughs> 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 Gryffindor. But yeah, uh, like you said, you know, kind of wanted to get the juices flowing here. So we're about to get into our Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone breakdown on the film. We're going to analyze it. We're going to talk about it and just overall have a good time. So we'll be right back with our Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone review right after this short break. Holy cricket, you're Harry Potter. I'm Hermione Granger and you are... Um, Ron Weasley. Pleasure. You two better change into robes 
I expect we'll be arriving soon. You've got dirt on your nose, by the way. Did you know? Just there. All right, and we are back with our Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone 20th anniversary review. This film is directed by Chris Columbus and writers, of course, J.K. Rowling and um, screenplay by Steve Cloves and stars Daniel Radcliffe, Rupert Grant, Richard Harris, and of course, Emma Watson. And I'm sure we all know the synopsis by now, but for those who do not know who have not gotten into Harry Potter, the entire series is now streaming on HBO Max and the First synopsis of Sorcerer's Stone reads, an orphan, an orphan boy um, enrolls in a school of wizardry where he learns the truth about himself, his family, and the terrible evil that haunts the magical world. So, whew, man, oh man. I actually just rewatched this yesterday. I, like JD, I rewatched these films on, on a yearly basis, much like Lord of the Rings. And even honestly, I rewatched Game of Thrones like, Probably twice a year because I love that shit. <laughs> Regardless of what people say about season eight, it was not bad. It was just rushed. That's all I'm going to say. But <laughs> let's go through the film here. I guess we'll start with uh, Nicole. Uh, did you did you plan a rewatch for this or are you kind of just basing off memory yourself? So I did rewatch this uh, yesterday, although I also got to see it in the theater for the first time last month. Nice. Um, Alamo Draft oh, wow. House was That's showing cool. it. And so I went with my sister because she also, like I said, is younger. So she'd never had a chance to see any of these in the theater, whereas I at least got to see Deathly Hollows Part 2 when it came out. But mm-hmm. I will say getting to see it like in the theater at the Alamo Draft House was so magical, um, pun intended. Uh, <laughs> but then I also rewatched it yesterday. And it, this is one of those movies that I watch a lot. I watch Sorcerer's Stone a lot, typically in the month of December because I do consider it to be kind of a Christmas movie. Um, and it for I think for that reason, it feels really Christmassy to me. So honestly, I watched it yesterday and I was like, I'm freaking ready for Christmas now. Like, <laughs> let's do it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, what about you, Amy? Um, uh, did you do a rewatch? Well, me and my boyfriend are actually doing a rewatch of the entire series sort of slowly. So I saw it a few nice. weeks ago. Um, but I did get to see it in cinema last mm. year because obviously cinemas reopened here June, July, and they had nothing coming out. So it was Back to Future, Harry Potter, Lord of the Rings. It was amazing. I wish I can go back to that. But yeah, I echo mm. what Nicole says there. This is a movie that I like, it's my most watched film of all time. I truly do believe that because mm. I watch it every year. But it's a perfect film to watch in July, celebrating Harry Potter's birthday, start of school, perfect film for Halloween, perfect film for mm. Christmas. It's just a film you can watch any time of year and it just feels right. It's like the ultimate comfort mm. film for me. It's a multi-purpose film. Exactly. <laughs> it really, it really yeah. is. I mean, it's so like... I mean, every time I watch it, it's just, I don't know. I remember like my mom taking me to, well, she, she was kind of hesitant after Prisoner of Azkaban. She's like, all right, this is getting like way too dark for me, but she would still take me. But the, the first film my mother loves so much because of just the world building and the introductory to everything. And, you know, there's, there's the film itself is so well paced. Like when I was rewatching it yesterday, I mean, I've seen it a thousand times, but for some reason it just ended as quick as it started, I was like, oh my gosh, you know, we're already underneath, you know, Fluffy, the guard dog and whatnot, and trying to get the Sorcerer's Stone and uh, stop Professor Quirrell. And I was like, my God, like, has it already been like almost two hours already? I, I, I felt very, mm-hmm. it was just so well paced. Like you got little chunks of Harry's life of, of course, him, you know, discovering he's a wizard and 
the the whole thing just really it just speaks to me like in a I don't I don't know if it's nostalgia or not, but it's just very it's so comforting. Like it is probably the number one franchise where I can watch, like Amy said, anytime during the year and like just be in the mood for it. But JD, have you rewatched Harry Potter and the Sorcerers? Uh I mean, I did watch these films last year, as I noted, <laughs> and it was gearing up for that time again this year. So, and, and this was a great excuse to kickstart that. So, my plan was to watch this last night. Um, I'm also an avid college football fan, Same. and my team started the game at seven thirty. Okay, these are mm, university. Okay, okay, okay. Mm-hmm. okay. Okay. These games are 60 minutes. It should not take five hours. For That's football. For you, That's ridiculous. Like- <laughs> it's absurd. So I miscalculated. <laughs> I'm so angry at ABC. <laughs> These commercials drive me insane. The game should have been over by 1030. That would have given me ample time to watch this. But no, the game goes to like midnight. It was so ridiculous. So I watched half of it last night. And then I finished it this morning before we got on here. So it wasn't necessarily ideal, but <laughs> I got it in despite ESPN's best efforts. To <laughs> no, but it I, is a long movie. I forget that yeah. this is actually like a mm-hmm. solid two and a half hour film because it doesn't feel like yeah. it when you're watching it. And then you're like, wait yeah. a second. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was like, I didn't want to check the yeah. runtime because I do that to myself all the time. I'm like, okay, how long is this movie? I did it with James Bond, No Time to Die. And I was like, oh, okay, two hours and 45 minutes. Let's go. <laughs> 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 but like, yeah. I just kind of yeah. popped it on. You know, I watched the Ted Lasso season two finale, which is very, very good. And after that, I was like, you know, I wanted to, I, I like to watch Harry Potter just, pretty much all day, every day. But I was like, yeah, let's just pop it on. I needed to watch it before, you know, we record just to, I mean, I don't need a refresh, but it's like, I mean, come on. <laughs> like, yeah, I would find yeah. any excuse to watch those movies. It's like, oh, if I have to. <laughs> okay, enough twisting my arm. I'll put it on like that. Kind of thing. Yeah. 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 And, and it's, I didn't realize I'm like, oh yeah. Like what was the runtime? I didn't want to check it. Cause I was like, I'm just going to enjoy it. Like, you know, I've like, so it's, it's very seldom where you get to just, sit back and just enjoy a movie without trying to be analytical and just enjoy it for what it is. And I definitely had that experience again last uh, yesterday while watching the film, but I wanted to kind of uh, open up the floor, you know, were there any points or, you know, anything you guys wanted to talk about uh, the first movie of, of why you guys like it so much. I know Amy said that uh, when I asked her to come on, she said it was her most watched Harry Potter film. So um, did you want to dig into a little uh, deeper with that or, you know, Literally just want to open up the floor to you guys. Whatever you guys want to talk about the movie, I'm all ears. Because I've been talking here for a while. So, <laughs> But I guess we'll start with Amy. Uh, uh, what, why is it your, uh, like your most, it's, it's your favorite out of the eight slash seven. I wouldn't it? say favorite. It's just, I always feel like I have to go back to the start. Whenever I watch a series, <laughs> I don't like just jumping in in the middle. So I always go back to a start and I get free for it. And I'm like, oh, just going to start from the start again I, yeah. I don't know I think just the formatting is so clever how we get the start of the year to the end of the year like I said it kind of shows every part so we have Christmas and Halloween and it just feels like a celebration and 
even the darker moments, especially in these first two films in the series, don't go so dark. It's not until you get to Prisoner of Azkaban that you're like, okay, this is getting really mature. So I feel like it's just a perfect movie for anyone of any age. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I, I definitely feel you there. It is, it is one of those movies where it's kind of, I mean, you could view it as like, you know, it does have like a lot of like Halloween vibes, obviously like witches and wizards and things like that. But there, there are a few like scary moments within this. I mean, I remember when I was younger being terrified of the troll in the dungeon, but like, I still watched it cause it's like, okay, you know, CGI was still being, not perfected, but you know, we weren't there yet. And you know, even with Fluffy, like even going back, this film still looks really, really good. I bought the uh the 4K collection because I'm a sucker. Um <laughs> and I was like, yeah, it's fine. But I when I rewrite we rot eh, blah, blah, I cannot talk today. When I rewatched it in 4K, like it looked fantastic. And I know it's you know, it's been etched into our minds where it's like, oh yeah, like that's Daniel Radcliffe. Obviously, he is older, but to us, it's like, it's it's almost like this film was like made yesterday with like the practical effects. You know, you don't get a lot of that nowadays, but with even with the CGI, it's not the worst because I've definitely seen worse. You know, especially with older, um, I guess, animated CGI movies, especially like with Shrek. Like as much as I love Shrek, it looks super super outdated. But much like the Lord of the Rings, like there's this kind of like vintage polish that was on the Sorcerer's Stone that it's like, yeah, this is more so of like it does have like the uh, the scary parts, but it overall like it's it's a mystery. I mean, like Hogwarts is a great place, but it's also super scary. And it's like, hey, you know, uh, Harry coming into the school the first time, meeting Draco Draco Malfoy. And instead of meeting him in the, um, I believe he met him in Diagon Alley in the books. I yeah, believe. in the dress shop. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then they so. have like the confrontation on the train. Yeah, yeah. And in the yeah, movie, we nice. just get it in yeah. the castle. But I think it works. Yeah, I think it does. Especially for those, I, I feel like we are moving away from the let's turn every single book into a movie type thing. Because back then, it was huge. Like early 2000s, every single book was a movie uh but now we're seeing you know that that being straight away with like his dark materials that's on hbo game of thrones lock and key like so many others and i'm like i think this format fits better but i did hear rumblings of a harry potter revitalization uh that hbo is looking into i think it's in the like early early stages of like production, but they're talking about making it into a TV series. Isn't it meant to be animated? I do not know. I'm not entirely sure. I, I actually, that's my first time of hearing about it, but. I'm interested in the idea of it, although it does feel a little too soon still to me. I'm also sitting over here like, no, you're not hearing right. We asked for a Marauders era TV series. (laughs) Not a retail. Like the movies are fine. They hold up so well that it sort of seems like, you don't really need a redo of the actual Harry Potter story. Mm-hmm. I mean, th- although I guess they heard us say that and they were like, Fantastic Beasts, and everyone was like, <laughs> No, 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 <laughs> no, no. Oh, oh, that series. Oh, but so no, good. talking about book adaptations, this really is like in terms of the like children's YA series, sort of the like standard that I hold adaptations to. 
Um, because I think it is like a really good shining example of how to adapt a book into a movie, take enough liberties with it to make a good film, but also keep the heart of the book and set everything up perfectly so that you can do the sequels without having any issues. Um, I, that's like whenever Artemis Fowl came out, um, (laughs) Um, I remember my letterbox review was just in terms of children's book to movie adaptations. Artemis Fowl is more Percy Jackson and the lightning thief than Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone. Um, yeah. Still haven't seen because, this movie. Oh, don't. Like, <laughs> like as Kenneth Brown as a number one fan, don't. Oh. Um, <laughs> but no, I think that this is like such a good example of what you can achieve with adapting a children's book to a movie um, and setting it up properly to be the start of a franchise. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a really great point. And it's interesting. I assume this was the reversal for you guys, but I, I mean, I watched the movie first before reading the book and I've only gotten through the first two books. I'm currently in the middle of doing all that right (laughs) now. Um, But um, I watched the movie first and then going back and reading it. And obviously there was a lot more detail there, but it's interesting as I was going through the book, realizing the edits they made or the changes and loving what they did from an editing standpoint or from a creative standpoint. I think what they took out of the book was necessary. I don't, I don't know if any of it would have added to the film version itself, And the stuff that they did keep where there were little changes, I think, either from a character standpoint or or from a drama standpoint, I thought fit the movie very well. Um, And because it's, you know, they're obviously much younger in this version, I think having Chris Columbus at the helm was a very smart move as well, uh, since he's, he's very good at working with children and, you know, creating this really fun environment. And then the aesthetics that you're talking about, Christian, I think is also important as well. Yes, some of the CGI is a bit outdated by today's standards, but I still think it mostly holds up. And you compare it to something like the prequel Star Wars films, and I think this movie looks so so much much better. better. Uh, So, so there is something. There is a lot of credence to that that vintage CGI that you're talking about, and how well this film looks and it does look really really great so um so i think from a direction standpoint from an editing standpoint um they did such a great job adapting this material to make it very playful and fun and then going back to what i was saying earlier the heart of harry potter's story you certainly get much more of it as the series goes but it's still established very well in this movie as well that scene and with him in front of the mirror is mm-hmm. uh, it's so poignant for me. I love it. And then of course there's that great conversation between he and Dumbledore at the end of the movie, uh, which could maybe come off. Um, I don't know. I don't want to say tacky or, or maybe overcooked, but it, it certainly could have, but I don't think it does. I, I think it's handled very diligently and, and very, and, and I think the heart there is very well earned and, and it's great. So I think they get the, that balance 
right. Um, you know, and it just makes for a very satisfying experience. For me. I have to say there's two things from this book though, that I'm so sad are not in this movie. Mm. Um, the first one is the bit where it's snowed and they're like playing in the snow and Fred and George are throwing snowballs at the back of Quirrell's head. Yeah. Um, because that's one of those fun things that like, it's only once you reread the book that you clock that like they're hitting Voldemort with snowballs, yeah. <laughs> which is such a Fred and George thing, so like, <laughs> which is so fun. Um, but then the other thing is, in, whenever they're trying to get the Sorcerer's Stone in the book, there's that like logic puzzle with potions, and they have to figure out like which one they can actually drink to move forward. Mm. Um, and Harry is so useless in that moment. Um, and Hermione's like, oh, well, clearly it's this. Yeah. And I think that like it is a little bit of a disservice to her character that they took it out because we have this big moment with Ron where like he gets to sort of be the hero and the one who that Harry needs. Um, and then we don't get that moment with Hermione because I also think that sets up that like a Harry would not have lived through um, any one of these years that we see him at school without Hermione. <laughs> um, she's constantly like saving his butt. Um, so I do sort of miss that in this, in this movie, but I think we kind of do make up for it in later movies because we see like how much he needs her, but it does make me sad every time because I like this idea of like, there's a task down there that each of them is uniquely suited to. Would you switch up the yeah. devil snare task then if a portion's one? Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. That's true. That's true. It's, I, I've always, it's, it's so funny to see Harry's adaptation from the book to film because in the book, he's, he's kind of like, like a little bit, <laughs> like just because, I mean, w- you know, when he first meets Ron, like they don't really like solidify their friendship with Hermione until later on. So it's like, it's like, oh, you know, like it's just Ron and Harry, but Harry's like one of the meanest kids. <laughs> I, I felt like at least from the books, but then going into the film, it's, you know, especially with Gryffindor and Slytherin, like obviously, especially with the first film, it really paints Gryffindor's like the house to be in, which is not true. People um, forget <laughs> that Harry is like at heart. Harry's a jock. Yeah. Like, <laughs> he's, he's like an athlete who doesn't really care about his schoolwork. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like I love Harry as a character. I think he's great. But also sometimes I'm like so much of of the series, particularly in books, it's just him being like a dumb teenage boy who's like, okay, but I just want to play Quidditch. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. It's it's so funny because like rereading the books, I was like, man, Harry's like one of he's like one of those mean kids, like in school, or like, yeah, kids are the worst. Yeah, it's it's true. And like, you know, in, in the film, obviously with um with Malfoy, like he's doing his own thing but he is more i think he's more snooty in the books for sure because we don't see him too much in the first film and it i've always wondered why they kind of went with you know gryffindor is like the house and then oh everyone bad and evil comes from slytherin but it's kind of like that for like the first two books and then in the third one it kind of starts to veer off as well you know the whole peter Pettigrew thing and stuff like that and i thought all gryffindors were good it's like well you're wrong (laughs) <laughs> well, I, 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 my argument to that would be, and again, I think this is just the difference in mediums, because from for a film, or especially this kind of film, I think we are experiencing this through Harry's mm-hmm. perspective, right? You know, we start with him, and there's everything 
at the house at the beginning of the movie. And as this goes, so much of it is through his lens. And so when he's at the sorting hat, what is he doing? I don't want to go to Slytherin. Please put me in Gryffindor. That's what I want. So tonally speaking, and just simply from a perspective standpoint, I think it makes sense dramatically Mm. and emotionally that that's how we experience it as well, because they want us to empathize with Harry as much as, as possible. So I, and I think veering away from that could maybe do that a bit of a disservice um, in this film specifically, I, I don't think that would have affected the larger narrative as oh, the no. series went on. But I do understand from a directional standpoint and even from a script writing standpoint why they went in that direction. Because, of course, he's going to view Slytherin as, you know, the rival. Yeah. Uh, and so that's how we experience it as well. And in the book, you don't necessarily have to do that, I think, because you can get into so much more right. detail there, uh, which is why I think in terms of the various mediums, the book, I really liked as well for what that was. And, and then you get all these changes to the movie. And I think it works effectively in that regard as well. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That, that, that's actually a very fair point. Um, another thing I kind of wanted to bring up, like every single time I start watching this series, especially starting with the first one, it's like, for some reason, like, you know, obviously, you know, the mysteries are like, oh, who's this person? Who's this person? But like, obviously, re-watching and rereading, you know, the series over and over, I tend to like jump in. I'm like, oh, of course, you know, Snape's, you know, not the real, you know, bad guy of the entire thing. But the, I think the film does a really good job of that with trying to do that little nice little bait and switch. Because, I mean, throughout with with Alan Rickman, you know, may he rest, rest in peace. It's very... um it's very interesting to see how, you know, like Snape was like the big bad and like their entire, like with, with Ron, Harry and Hermione, when it came to the Sorcerer's Stone. And then like for them to twist over to Quirrell, especially from like a film standpoint for, I guess the general audience, I think they did a really good job because all the signs, all, uh, all the signs were technically pointing towards Snape, but as you know, we see as the series goes on, it's like, oh, well, Snape's a good guy. He's not going to do anything wrong. But have you guys ever, I guess when you're watching a big franchise like this, kind of just skip ahead in your minds? Like, okay, like this person goes that way, this person goes that way type situation. But um, yeah, it's, it's, it's just something I always have trouble with because like I try to always watch it with a fresh pair of eyes, but it's kind of hard to when you've seen it so many times. But yeah, it's weird. Sorry. Yeah. And I think especially with Snape, it's hard because there is so much like backstory there. Um, And I think that it it is interesting, though, to watch it with that knowledge because there is the whole thing. And I don't remember at which point she told him, but J.K. Rowling did tell Alan Rickman sort of what was coming. So he was the only one who knew. Mm. Um, And I think it's really interesting to sort of look back at some of the earlier films and try and see points where you get little bits of that, like, and see if you can tell maybe where he has that knowledge that other, you know, that everyone else didn't. Yeah. Um, and where he's building that, which I actually think Snape is a character and there are a handful of these. And I think Draco is one too, who actually ends up maybe more nuanced in the movie than he is in the books because of the performance. Um, I think like Draco is the best example of that because I think that like what Tom Felton was doing with him was much more layered than what we see of him in the book. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think Snape's another example where 
there's so many incredible moments with Alan Rickman and I always forget a little bit. And then watching this movie, I'm like, he is so damn dramatic in this film. <laughs> yeah. Like all the like swishing of like the cloak and stuff. It's so <laughs> fun to watch. And it does make him such a fun, like, like you were saying, sort of switch and bait villain um, in that, like he seems like this really intimidating figure. Yeah. And then like at the most last minute sort of, it's like surprise, he's not been the bad person at yeah. all. And we kind of keep doing that with him over and over throughout the whole series of like, they keep anything that goes wrong. Harry, Ron and Hermione are like, they've got two things. It's either Snape or it's Draco. Like, <laughs> and it's never actually either of them. <laughs> <laughs> right. Slytherins, what are you going to do? <laughs> They're like, oh, Voldemort again. <laughs> to me, that's what's been so much fun about revisiting these films each year and looking back at the nuances there. Because on that first go around, to your point, Christian, I was doing my best not to look ahead in any way. And yes, they have the, the bait and switch in this film. But as the films progress, Snape is still painted out to be some sort of mysterious, imposing figure who may be antagonistic toward Harry at times. And of course, from Harry's perspective, that's how he views Snape. So it comes across that way. Again, going back to what I was saying a second ago. Um, and so even though at the end of this film, he's not the one pulling the strings, the series does plant those seeds. But since we know how all of this is going to play out at the very end, it's still very fascinating to see what Snape is doing in this film, especially with Rickman's performance and the emotional ties he has uh, to Harry and, of course, his mother as well. So t- when you're looking at it through that prism, there's so much in Rickman's performance to what you said, Nicole, that he knew where this was going and you do see it in these subtle little ticks and in the way he interacts with Harry that, uh, you know, having that full perspective, it just makes the character all the more uh, textured and fascinating to me. It, it, despite, you know, Harry and Hermione and how they come after him, you know, like there's that moment where she almost tries to burn him <laughs> to death and all that sort of stuff, you know, which is funny in yeah. hindsight. Uh, but you know, all of that, I think adds, uh, so much great, uh, nuance to the movie for me in, in hindsight. So I, I, on a first time watch, I think it's very good in what it's doing, but you know, they do add some great subtlety, uh, to the character and in the performance that just makes it all the more rewarding in all these rewatches later. And adding on to that scene that you were mentioning of a burning, it's so interesting because first time you see it, the camera focuses right on Alan Rickman and Snape Bears. We think he's the one sort of cursing the broom. And then you get the reveal at the end, it's Quirrell. And you look back and you can see the details at the back where you can see Quirrell sort of whispering. You can see Quirrell falling back when he is, when the burn does happen. And it's so interesting watching back because it's not something you would initially pick up on a first watch. But the fact that they thought about it, I just I love that so much. Yeah, yeah. I agree. yeah, that yeah. camera work was it was it was it was pretty nice there because I mean going back it's like okay you know who it is but like I feel like Bran from Game of Thrones I just I'm three three eyed Raven just jumping into the future it's like oh my gosh you know like all this great stuff happens it's just the beginning type of situation but it's it's almost as if Snape I mean from Harry's perspective in the books not knowing anything 
He's like that one grown up that you just that like you just don't like. There's just something weird about them. Very very off putting. And how knowing more about Snape, you know, later on, it's like okay, that's why you know Snape's always giving him a hard time or just and essentially protecting him. But I love it. I love how you know when Harry first goes to Snape's um, potion class for the first time, and he's like, "Harry Potter, our newest uh, new celebrity and whatnot." And he's like, "Oh, famous and everything," because Harry can't. He doesn't know anything about the Wizarding World, and it's it's great how you know J.K. Rowling she she created a character. Where it's like, oh, he's a wizard, but obviously he doesn't know yet. So it provides like we are Harry going into this new world, and I, I really love how you know there's a smirk on Draco uh, on Malfoy's face during the Pelicans class where he's like, yeah, you know, like famous and everything. You know, he's just the boy who lived, but it's like everybody knows this kid's name, and he's like, okay, how does everyone know who i am and i don't even know all this stuff about myself yet so it's you know coming of age self-discovery type situation oh yeah but it's man oh man um i wanted to ask a question but i'm blanking but was there anything you guys wanted to talk about the movie that we haven't really touched on yet uh can i say something so let's talk about john wayne's for a moment uh i don't know this might come off as insane and that's perfectly fair, but you know, cause John Williams ha- is known for all these iconic themes, right? You know, Jurassic Park and Star Wars and Indiana Jones. Am I crazy to say and to think, and I firmly believe this, I think his theme for Harry Potter might be my favorite. And all I, I love his story. It is so playful. Yeah. Right? I sometimes cry just I hearing it. <laughs> yeah. like, especially too, because I've I've been to um the Wizarding World in Universal so Have you? Um, yeah. I love it. I'm going uh, yeah, again in January. Nice. Um but there's something about like I'll be there and they'll start playing like one of the themes from the film and I just like yeah. start crying. <laughs> <laughs> I'm with you, Nicole. <laughs> it's like, yeah. oh look, I'm crying again. Um no, but I think that like there's something about, I mean, obviously he's done great work for, like you said, so many different movies, but there's something about his um, work for this film that I think is so emotion invoking. And I also think so many of us just have nostalgia for it. And I think the way that like certain themes are pulled through different movies is really interesting. Um, but yeah, like I, whenever I think about the use of a film score, I often think about like how it's used at the end of Sorcerer's Stone and how effective that is. I, I love it. I don't think you're crazy for saying that at all. I I, I would actually have to agree with JD. Yeah, I, I think it is. I mean, obviously they're all very recognizable, but uh, depending on the franchise, I, I really think Harry Potter's is just something special. And it just, the scores kind of just evolve, especially in the third film. I love the score in Prisoner of Azkaban. Same. Oh my God. It is crazy, crazy good. But I have a lot of, um, well, I've been collecting like the vinyl records for Harry Potter. And it's like just listening, like uh, like out of any film, like between Harry Potter and there's a few others, but Harry Potter is probably number one. I'll just go back and listen to like Harry's Wondrous World, things of that uh, that nature. And it's just, it's so uplifting. And like, um, I think um, during the, I guess the the Christmas break scene when Ron and, and Harry are kind of, you know, he gets invincibility cloak, which is one of the Deathly Hollows and things like that. It's like, oh my gosh. But I, I really love how, you know, he uh he sends Hedwig away. And it's like that 
little scene itself, like it just perfectly like encompasses like it's just such a magical, magical world. And I, I just love it. It's like, you know, it's only a few seconds long going from uh Christmas break back into like spring. I'm not sure when they actually come back from uh from school, but I know September 1st, you know, obviously starting, but um, yeah, it's the, the score itself is, it's just phenomenal. It's, it's just one of those things where it's so easily recognizable, even if it's just like some random tracks, like, Oh, this sounds like Harry Potter. Yep. That's Harry Potter. For sure. But yeah, I, I, you're, you're not crazy for that, man. I, I actually do agree with you there for sure. I just love how immersive yes. it is and how complimentary it is to the film's aesthetics. And, and, I, and, and I'm not trying to downgrade his other. No. It's all great. Don't get me wrong. I'm, I just think what he does here is spellbinding and, 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 and so complimentary. When they're just walking around Hogwarts, the cues that he has there just transports me to that place. And then as you were talking about a second ago, Nicole, as well, when the film gets into it's hard. It, it is very poignant and it does invoke emotion in a great way. And that central cue, is, it's not only recognizable, but it does. I, I don't know. It just gets to the central core of this series for me. And yeah, I mean, if I'm just, whether I'm at Harry Potter world or just, you know, in my car or walking around my house, if I hear it, it's like, okay, I'm, I, where's the movie? <laughs> you know, I'm just going to jump into it. Like I'm yeah. just ready <laughs> and, and it just, I feel like I'm there. And, and in this film, it, I mean, you do have its emotional moments, but it's also very playful mm-hmm. and fun. You know, going back to what we were saying earlier and he just b- brings so much to that in this film with his music that makes it so memorable to me. And I just don't feel like it's talked about enough within his filmography, which is why I feel like I want to champion it even mm-hmm. further because I, I think it's at, at the very least as good as his other work. Um, like I said, I, it just might be my favorite. Yeah. There was a, um, so he, here in town, um, like we have like the Nashville symphony. So um, it was like uh, maybe a year before COVID hit, they were doing each Harry Potter. Um, I think I missed the first two. I was kind of disappointed because I love me some chamber of secrets, um, <laughs> but I, it was starting with prisoner of Azkaban and then I saw for Prisoner of Azkaban and Goblet of Fire. So it was where they, you know, they, they played the, the score as the movie was uh, playing on on the uh, on the big screen. It was, and it's like, it's you know, I've I've experienced Harry Potter like in so many different ways. Obviously, you know, just watching the movies, reading the books, um, listening to the audiobooks because I have those as well. Um, <laughs> but watching it, you know, like as the scores perform live, it was so. It was like a new different, like a whole totally different experience. And I was like, this is so freaking awesome. And I like could not buy anything there because I had so much stuff. And I was like, <laughs> I have to reframe myself. <laughs> I did get like a nice, they gave you like a nice little complimentary poster afterwards. Ooh. But it was, it was so magical. Like they they had the whole place dressed up. Like each there was like four entrances. Yeah, four inches um entrances going in. Um, into the place with uh, Gryffindor, Slytherin, Hufflepuff, Ravenclaw, something like that. It was really awesome. I was like, they really just went for it. And then COVID hit, and um, I think I wasn't able to do Order of the Phoenix. And then that's when COVID hit. And I don't think they started to back up yet, but it was something I've always wanted to do. And I was like, this is 
amazing. Like I took one of my friends one time because she's a huge Harry Potter fan as well. So it, it was a great, great experience. That's so cool. Yeah, that's awesome. It was some good yeah. stuff. I was like, ah, just just take me away, please. <laughs> yeah. Definitely just take me away. Um, man, I'm trying. I'm literally actually still blanking on what I was going to ask. Early. I've got a, I've got a any- topic we can talk about. Um, yeah, Dumbledore and Richard Harris's performance because obviously he passed away after the second film and we got Michael Gambon from film three. But to me, Richard Harris has always been my Dumbledore. So warm and... Mm. Somebody that I could see how in that connection with Harry. And I just kind of wanted to get everyone else's opinion on the Dumbledore situation. I think in some ways it's, I mean, obviously it's tragic like that it happened and they ended up having to recast him. But in some ways I do think it's sort of fitting in that like the Dumbledore that we see in the first two books is very warm and he and Harry have this like really nice connection and he seems like a really um, trustworthy figure. And then sort of as we get further into the series though, it becomes sort of clear that there's a lot of things that Dumbledore has been withholding. There's a lot of things that he knows um, and that maybe he's not like this perfect warm figure that we thought he was and that Harry thought he was. Um, And so in some ways I think it like, it works out well that each, each of the actors ending up in the films that they ended up in. Like, I don't think it would have worked as well had they been flipped. Um, and like Michael Gambon done the first two films, I don't think that would have felt right. But I do think that like in the later films, he feels right for that character, um, which I, I will freely admit, I am one of those people who subscribes to the um, idea that Dumbledore is actually like a pretty shady character. Um, oh yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Like I have some thoughts on him raising child soldiers, but um, <laughs> but I think that like Fair. it works out so nicely that we have Richard Harris in these first two movies, where Dumbledore is sort of that comforting presence. Um, and I, God, the hospital scene with him and Harry is just like mm-hmm. so fun and and nice um, that I'm so happy that he was the Dumbledore for this film. Yeah. Yeah, I I think I'm a pretty big fan of both iterations, but I, I think you guys make some really great points regarding Richard Harris and his performance here, how warm he is, which tonally speaking is very appropriate since, you know, this is their first year in Hogwarts and you're, you know, you're talking with about younger children. So for him to come across that way um, is is what they needed at that time for sure. And I just love the subtlety in the performance as well. Like I said, some of the dialogue in that hospital scene at the end, on the page, it could maybe read a little saccharine, but it never comes off that way in the performance. Um, And I think a lot of it, it has to do with that warmth that you're talking about and also just how quiet the the performance is. Um, Or or I also think about the... um, the line where he's talking about the the enchantment he had on this sorcerer's stone. And he says, you know, something to the effect of that was one of my more brilliant ideas, which could come off as this really egotistical <laughs> line. Uh, but it doesn't, I think because of that subtlety and, and that stillness that he has in, in the performance and just the, the, the soft compassion he has for, um these characters but especially for harry in this film is is really great yeah a, a really wonderful presence in this yeah film. and i actually just um 
I'll, I'll get to Amy's uh, question first. So uh, between the two um, Dumbledores, I, I, I like them both, honestly. And it's, it's so hard to choose between the two. Um, Cause I mean, going to see the movies, like I knew what happened and it was, you know, it was, it was pretty tragic, but I feel like there is like once, like, like when we get prisoner of Azkaban, especially Goblet of Fire, like that is what, that is when crap hits the fan, especially in Goblet of Fire. And I know everyone makes the joke of, oh, when, uh, you put your name in the Goblet of Fire. You put your name in the Goblet of Fire. <laughs> <laughs> like, Yo, take it easy. Like, no. Like, and it's like, God, I love that. It is so funny. So, so funny. And I just, <laughs> I love that meme so, so much. <laughs> Obviously. <laughs> But there was like a really big tone, especially within the third one. It really just gets super dark, you know, with everything with the dementors and, you know, that being, um, you know, a metaphor for like depression, everything J.K. Rowling was going through. And it's like, I I really, I couldn't choose between the two. I just, I just really enjoy them both. Um, but I do, um, with, with the first Dumbledore, he was very reserved in a way because when, you know, him being who he is, and like Nicole uh, said, he is he is a pretty shady character, as we find later on. And I I don't know how the films would have been with um, the OG. With uh, you know, I think I think that Richard Harris would actually have probably calmly said, "Did you put your name in the cover?" Super calmly. Yeah. What's your name in the cover of fire? Yeah. Like runs out to him. I'm like, oh. <laughs> like, like cloak, like waving in the background. Right. Oh, shit. I was like, whoa. <laughs> I was like, that's the fastest we've ever seen Dumbledore move in his entire life. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, um, but I wanted to ask you guys about uh, Peeves the Poltergeist because I know he, he makes an appearance in the book but not in the film. Um, I, I've i always wondered if that would have worked in the – like if they were able to squeeze him in. But well, what are your guys' thoughts about that character and do you think he could have been well adapted for, uh, for, for the first movie? It's very much the sort of thing that I feel like would have made it in had it been a TV series. Mm-hmm. Um, and I love all the stuff to do with the ghosts in the castle and particularly Peeves, because I think that like one of the things that we don't get quite as much in the movies as we do in the books is that um, for all that people keep being like, oh, Hogwarts is like the safest place in the wizarding world. Yeah. <laughs> it's actually not that safe. No. Like there's a lot of things. They have a three-headed dog right. monster. But also like somewhere. there's a yeah. guys who's just like screwing with the kids all the time. Yeah. Like, <laughs> and I think that that's one of the things that we lose a little bit in the movies is that sense that like there isn't anywhere for these wizards that they can be that isn't dangerous. Yeah. Um, because of all these things that, you know, exist. And <laughs> it is also one of those things that Harry is so like put off by in terms of like every, you know, like Ron is kind of like, oh yeah, these are the ghosts. Yeah. <laughs> and Harry's like, I'm sorry, what? <laughs> um, but I, I understand why they cut a lot of the stuff to do with the ghosts. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, not just Peeves, but also like we get like a little bit of nearly headless Nick, but yeah. we don't. He's much more of a character in the books. Mm. And I get it that if you like look at these books and you're like, okay, what can I take out? That's an obvious thing to take. 
Um, but at the same time, that is one of those things that I'm like, well, okay, if they were to do a TV series, yeah, I would that back. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like Tom Bombadil, and um, I think, uh, and is it is in Lord of the Rings the the first book where it kind of like the entire plot just stops and like <laughs> everything. And then I, I'm like, okay, I can understand why they took that out for Lord of the Rings because it's like it's not really needed for the adventure. So I, I think I do agree with you there, Nicole. It's it's very, I mean, it's it, it kind of sucks, but you know, the books are always there for those who want to go back and uh, read that. But uh, we are coming up here on time. But so I wanted to uh, ask you guys: Were there any other final thoughts that you had for uh, Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone? I guess we'll start with JD, then we'll go to Amy, Nicole, and then we'll uh, close out. Well, I guess to just kind of jump off of what you guys are talking about there regarding what they cut out of the book. I do, as I said earlier, I really like the editing in terms of the translation from the book to the film. This is maybe just purely subjective. So I'm certainly willing to admit that. But I, I was not a big fan of the poltergeist element in the book. So then cutting that out entirely felt like uh, it, it was something I enjoyed subjectively, but as you're talking about, Nicole, it also felt like the right thing to cut out as well. I did like the ghostly elements, though, like nearly headless Nick, everything with him in the book, I really enjoyed. And I do like that he gets some inclusion in the film here as well. Um, and to what you're talking about, I I do think they strike this right balance in the sense that there is something to hard hard works that is a, a little uh, is well it, it can be this troubling place if you find yourself in the the, the wrong rooms I, I guess uh, it's not necessarily the safe place although the main common areas the school itself I mean you want that to be a safe place and I think for the most part they do a good job of demonstrating that but as we find out with Harry and Hermione and Ron when they get into these situations such as them finding this three-headed dog <laughs> monster you know maybe not great you know and then as they're trying to find the sorcerer's stone there's like all these hidden rooms that nearly kill them so you know you have this building that is simultaneously the school that needs to be safe uh, but, you know, you head down the wrong path and who knows, you might get your head chopped down. <laughs> so it, it certainly strikes that balance, even without having uh, the poltergeist character or, or these ghostly elements uh, that I do like. So I, I think for the most part, they strike that balance right. Um, uh, and so I did like that element of the film. And overall, I just love its playfulness. As I mentioned earlier, I love the heart of this movie. Uh, the music to it all. I mean, there's not much I have against it other than perhaps at times some of the acting isn't quite there oh, yeah. yet. Uh, but that's a, you know, that's a nitpick more than anything else. Um, yeah. I mean, I just, this is, to me, this is a really solid start to a series that gets progressively better as it goes and gets obviously more mature as it goes. Uh, but for where these characters are right now, I think, tonally dramatically they find that middle ground impeccably and yeah i enjoyed the heck out okay yeah uh amy uh yeah to end off i want to bring up the casting so obviously it feels like every famous british actor and actress made it into this film and i love that from the british standpoint <laughs> but, they all, but they all fit in so well like maggie smith is 
perfect as McGonagall. She's, I love her. But I also want to applaud them for actually casting 11, 12-year-olds as 11, 12-year-olds. It's so easy, especially in young adult and children's yeah. books, like Percy Jackson, to cast an 18, 19-year-old as this 12, 13-year-old. <laughs> and you're like, you can't buy it. This feels, even if the acting is not there yet, which for 12, 13-year-olds, it won't be. It feels authentic and it means that when they grew up, they physically grew up in the role, they got to play for the entire seven, eight year run and it didn't feel exactly. weird to see them mm-hmm. 10 years later and feel like, oh, they're like 30 years, 30 years old now. It's like, no, they still feel like they fit the role <laughs> perfectly. Yeah, I, I do agree with you there, Amy. And that was actually something I meant to bring up earlier, but I'm glad you did. It, it really, it's, it's funny to see. I've seen a lot of like, behind the scenes and like Emma Watson used to like, I think she would like mouth everyone else's lines. You can catch her in this. Yes. There's a few moments where you can catch her mouthing <laughs> someone else's line. Yep. Like, if that was the screen, I would have done the same thing. Cause like I was in a lot of plays growing up and I'm like, I did the exact same thing. So I totally, totally get it. But Amy is right. You know, when, when it comes to it, it's believable because you know, child actors, they've been around forever, but it's like, it just makes sense. Like, they have to be 11 years old. Like they have to. And, you know, to see them actually, you know, to have everyone come back. And I know Emma Watson was kind of doing, um, battling with a few things, whether or not she should come back. I think it was around Order of the Phoenix. But, you know, I'm I'm glad that, you know, they, they definitely stuck it through because it just would have been weird to see like, okay, you know, we have one kid who was like the proper age and then <laughs> 15 years, like, like, you know, 10 plus 15 yeah. years. It's like, whoa, Harry, you look different. And it's, you know, <laughs> it's, it's kind of like the Tobey Maguire thing. People used to make fun of that. You know, he was 24 years old starting out, but then like a lot of the teachers that were playing, like um, his teachers were actually younger than him. And I'm like, what is this logic right now? I don't understand, but it, you know, with the, uh, with, um, with the child actors, you know, them bouncing off of, you know, all of these other um, actors and actresses, it really does help because, you know, you do have the kids, but, you know, the, the adults obviously help a lot and, you know, they're, they're there to kind of guide them and whatnot. So I, I wonder, I wondered how that was going to pan out, but I'm, I'm glad you brought that up, Amy, but I'll go to uh, Nicole for uh, closing thoughts and then we'll get out of here. Yeah, I also was going to bring up the casting because I do think that it's also remarkable to sort of look at these young actors at, you know, 11, 12, 13 years old and think about where their careers like have gone from there and to to get to look back and see them at this age. Like, because I think, you know, we've seen really good work from Daniel Radcliffe and Emma Watson and Tom Felton and even like Alfie Enoch, who played Dean Thomas um, now as adults. Mm -hmm. And to get to see them at this age, I think is so fun. But I will say my one big like issue with the casting of these movies overall is that in this first film, they casted, Uh, They cast Alan Brickman, who is the perfect Snape. So, like, I can't hold it that much against them. But he's far too old for the role. Um, And then whenever they cast, like, Harry's mom and dad in the flashback, they're also significantly older than they should be. Yeah. Because – and I think it does lose a little bit of the tragedy of the fact that, like, Lily and James Potter would have been around 21 when they died. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that, like, because of that, obviously, then they end up casting – uh, Sirius and Remus older as well and so you sort of lose this f- fact of like I think there is something in the books that's really 
moving about the fact that Harry and Hermione and Ron are so young going through this war. And then to think about the fact that Harry's parents and Sirius and Remus and all of them were so young going through the previous war as well. And there is that sort of thing of when Harry goes to the final battle, he's only a couple years younger than his parents were when they died. That's right. Um, yeah, that's right. Which is like really weird to think about, I think. Um, and really moving in a way to think about like how tragic it is too. Like you think, you know, Sirius Black was like, 21 when he went into Azkaban, mm-hmm. um, which hits kind of different than thinking of him as like a, you know, a properly grown man in his thirties whenever it happened, which is what the casting of the movie implies. So that is like my biggest pet peeve with these films as a whole. And it like, it's because of what they did in this movie that I feel like then they had to like match it with the rest of the cast throughout. Yeah. Um, so like, I can't hold it that much against them, especially because I think a lot of it comes from, the decision to cast Alan Rickman and I can never complain with casting, you know, anyone having cast Alan Rickman in anything because he is one of my favorite actors, but it does bother me because I do think you lose a little bit of that tragedy of what happened to the Potters. And just like that, the magic was gone. No, I was kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Great. I, I'm just thinking, like, I want it to be sadder. Um, <laughs> I need to feel more sad. <laughs> yeah. Not feeling it just yet. <laughs> yeah. But no, that is a good uh, point. Because uh, it's kind of like, oh, like, you know, you're, you're an adult, like you have kids, you're in your 30s automatically. It's like everyone was just shoved into that age group. <laughs> and it's it's just whenever i think about the fact that i'm like oh i'm 27 which puts me like six years older than lily and james potter yes like i would have been dead if i was james potter right yeah like that's a weird thing to like kind of try and conceptualize (laughs) is is it mentioned in the movies that they were that young when i I don't think it is but timeline wise it would have to be because of things that are said about when voldemort um died and who oh, would have okay. been like at school at the right time yeah 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 that's true gotcha yeah for them to have not been like at school at the same time as tom brittle i think it has to work that way yeah okay yeah that, gotcha. that is true I, and, although uh, we know based on fantastic beasts we know there's some weird things happening with the timeline here. oh my god yeah <laughs> <laughs> especially the aging of i saw professor mcgago was like hold on do i have my facts right here like I'm I'm hoping that what is the next one called for um uh secret fantastic Be- or something yeah, yeah. secrets uh, yeah shocker yeah, Dumbledore right. has secrets more secrets, <laughs> more secrets. <laughs> the shadiest person in this entire franchise <laughs> is Albus Dumbledore <laughs> yes it's, it's very very true yeah I'm sorry someone's calling me through my MacBook he can wait um. <laughs> He's just calling me about football stuff. So um, <laughs> he's like, hey, man, you're bringing the mac and cheese? Yeah, I got the mac and cheese for you, man. It's all good. I, I went to Costco. I was lazy. I bought it. Didn't have time for okay. it. Hey, but Costco mac and cheese is good. So, I actually know. never had it myself. So this will be my first time trying it out. I'm, I'm a big mac and cheese enthusiast. One of oh, okay. Well, <laughs> <laughs> as everyone should be. Yeah. Yeah, but uh, I just wanted to take this time again. You know, seriously, thank you guys for coming on for this journey. Would love to have you guys back um, as we're going Mm -hmm. through this movie series. You know, depending on everyone's schedule. Um, But I wanted to go through the show here really quick to give everyone a chance to let everyone know where they can find you on the internet and what's coming up um, recently with your work. So I guess we'll start with Nicole, then we'll hit Amy, and then uh, JD. 
Okay. So the best place to find me on the internet is on Twitter. I am at Nicole Ackman 16. That is the place that I share like all of my podcasting and writing. I've got a link tree in my bio there that has links to all the different writing that I do across like several sites. And then you can also find me over at next best picture podcasting, um, writing stuff. Uh, and in terms of like what's going on with my work right now, I will say, um, I recently today as of recording, um, had my review of the last duel go up, which, um, I put a lot of work into, I like read the book that the movie is based on so I could have all the historical context. So if anyone is, you know, um, has seen the movie and wants a little bit of more of that historical context to it and stuff, uh, you can find that in my review, which is at, um, your money geek. Um, and also there will be a link to it on my Twitter. Um, yeah. And, and I'm, so excited to have been a part of this. So thank you again for, for having me on. Oh, no problem at all. Amy, what about you? Yeah, so best place to find me is on Twitter at Films of Amy. I have my own website, which I've been writing on and off. I'm currently posting dissertation workshop stuff there. Um, that's Film for Thought. I do have a writing such as In Session Film and Flick Feast and... Coming up, I've got London Film Festival this week. I'm not down in London, unfortunately, but I am going to be nipping to a cinema in Glasgow to see the likes of Tatane, Tragedy on Macbeth and Petite Maman. So I am very excited and I will be reviewing all of those films over the next two weeks. Okay, JD? Um, so yeah, you can find all of our stuff at InSessionFilm.com. Uh, we have great writing from various writers like Amy uh, that you can go and check out. We have the podcast as well. We got two shows, one that comes out on Tuesdays, another on Friday slash Saturday, depending on when I can get to the editing of that show. Uh, So speaking of the last duel, I'm very curious to read your review on it, Nicole. I saw your Twitter thoughts on it and I think my thoughts align with yours. And and since you've read the book, I'm really curious to go and and check that out. But we'll be reviewing that on the podcast soon. Of course, you got No Time to Die coming up. uh, Dune here in a few weeks as well. So uh, a lot on the horizon. I'm very excited for where this fall season can go. But you can check all that out, all the links, everything. All right. And of course, you can find us over at Film, uh, not Film Twitter. Wow. You can find us over <laughs> at Twitter. Well, you can't find us on Film Twitter. You can find us over on Twitter and Instagram at Film Optics. That is Optics with an X. Uh, for what's coming up on the podcast, uh, it, it has been a very busy month for everyone when it comes to October, including this, because this yeah. is like my passion project. You know, I would definitely love to have you guys on for uh, future films. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, but for for us, it's it's crazy. So we we just finished our um, No Time to Die review, which we had Ryan McQuaid and Griff Schiller come on. So as of this recording, um, that should be up. And then we also have our uh, The Last Duel and Halloween Kills review that we'll be doing. Um, I did get invited to an in-person screening for Last Duel. I was like, oh, my gosh. Wow. It was and so exciting. But I couldn't go. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> like a lot of things were happening. Um, I had some personal stuff I had to take care of. And I had to watch No Time to Die. I'm like, okay. <laughs> I would have definitely seen The Last Still over No Time to Die. But I knew we had Ryan and Griffin coming on. And they're like huge mm-hmm. Bond fans. I'm like, well, I can't just be the only person on the podcast who hasn't seen it. That's just silly. So 
I did went I went to go see No Time No Time to Die when I could over the last duel. But I let them know in advance. I'm like, hey, I can't make it anymore, but please, like, you know, keep me in mind for future events. Like, FYI. Because <laughs> I'm very excited for that. Yeah. I didn't know it was based off of a book. I just really love the whole, you know, medieval setting uh, type film. So, and it, the, stat, the cast is stacked as well. So I'm like, this is, looks very promising. So <laughs> definitely there. And uh, I believe that is um, it for our podcast. We also have our season finale of Marvel's What If Episode 9 that is up on the podcast as well. So, yeah, again, The Last Duel and uh, Halloween Kills, that'll be dropping on October 18th. So we have a nice little double feature uh, podcast for you guys over there. So other than that, again, thank you guys so much for coming on. Um, and for those out there listening, whether you're coming back by film or by page, Hogwarts will always be there to welcome you home. So we're going to close out here. And yeah. And that's a wrap for today, everyone. Thank you all for listening. And if you enjoy the show, leave us a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts. And follow us on Twitter and Instagram to stay in the know. That was Nicole, Amy, and JD. My name is Christian, and we'll see you guys later.